Many people know little about human trafficking except what we see on TV, and it's usually women trying to escape poverty or persecution in their country who have been promised a better life. But trafficking also happens in Niagara. And in fact, as a Canada-USA border region, Niagara is an epicenter for human trafficking. And traffickers exploit people in vulnerable positions, including young children, Indigenous women, um, members of the 2SLGBTQ plus community. And YWCA Niagara has developed an anti-trafficking program, including a safe house, to help these victims. And Kayla Mayer from YWCA is with me today. Hi, Kayla. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today. You are the program manager for the human trafficking service at YWCA in Niagara. And I've been wanting to talk to you for, for a while because, you know, when I mentioned Niagara and human trafficking to my friends, everybody's like, oh, this doesn't happen in Niagara, but it does. So I want to start with what is the difference between a sex worker and a person who is being human trafficked? Absolutely. But thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you today and talk about this topic. It's very dear to my heart and to the YWCA and the work that we're doing. So when we talk about sex work, it really comes down to consent and what consent means to those who are doing sex work. So at one end of the spectrum, you have somebody who is doing sex work by choice. I've heard a very low number of sex workers are doing it by choice, as low as 3%. Uh, but sex work by choice is the exchange of money for sexual services provided by a consenting adult. And sex workers can be women, men, transgender, non-binary individuals. And it can include things like escorting, street-based sex work, cam work, cyber sex, exotic dancing, pornography, and a lot more. And selling sex in Canada is actually not illegal, although many activities associated with it are, such as the purchasing of sex. So when we look at that continuum of consent, as you're moving towards that no choice um, exploitation, you also have individuals who are doing sex work by circumstance. And that is somebody who is trading sex for either a place to stay, using sex work to fund access to a substance of choice, putting food on the table, clothes on their back. Um, so it really is an exploitation of our system as well. And again, as we're moving down that spectrum, when somebody is doing sex work without choice, that is where trafficking comes in. So there is a lack of consent within that continuum of sex work. And I want to also mention that sex work and the sex industry are very different things. The sex industry is where trafficking happens. Okay, so what then would be um, considered... Um... Sorry, I don't remember exactly the phrase though with sex work and sex work and what was the the second one that's the non-consensual? So there's sex work by choice and then sex work by circumstance. So based on their life circumstances, they feel that sex work is what they need to do to be able to have the things that they need, their basic needs. So you mentioned someone who needed to buy drugs. That's considered a non-consensual. Or, or is that considered a non-consensual um, sex work because they feel they have no choice to do that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just people who are being um, dominated by uh, generally a male. 
and being forced into sex work and then being locked in a room or, or treated in that way and basically being a hostage. So that's not, that is not it. Because that's what we think of, you know, when you watch a movie, that's Absolutely. human trafficking. Yes, yes. And I think what you've kind of described is the movie Taken. I talk about it all the time when I'm talking about defining what human trafficking is. And that is the trafficker kidnaps an individual, brings them in that movie. It's international sex trafficking um, and they are confined to um, do trafficking on behalf of that trafficker. However, in Niagara, trafficking looks very different. And a lot of the trafficking happening here in Canada is domestic sex trafficking. And it is often not done through the kidnapping to trafficking, but rather creating relationships with an individual and trafficking them through that relationship. So an abusive controlling relationship by a spouse. It can be a spouse. It can be a friend. It could be somebody that you meet online. Traffickers come in many shapes and forms, but uh, the running piece, the vein that runs through all of that is that relational piece that they are creating a bond of trust and creating a trauma bond and then forcing the individual into the sex industry. Well, I know um, just before we move on to talking about who's most at risk, I think that the uh, the really shocking number for people who live in Niagara is that uh, the the incidence of, of sex trafficking in Niagara, I believe, is the highest across the country. And um, it's, yeah, um, it, population of 100,000 is in Niagara, it is four times higher than the national average. So mm -hmm. I think that's pretty shocking for people because people don't realize we have borders. Yes. And not and 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 people can be considered goods mm -hmm. that are being brought across the border. Right. And that's only one of the reasons why Niagara is such a hub of human trafficking. Um, a lot of different characteristics of our region allows trafficker to traffic individuals easily through our region. Um, one of those region, reasons is the border, absolutely. But we are also sandwiched in between the border and the 401 corridor. And a lot of trafficking happens between Toronto and Windsor. And when they need to come through uh, the Golden Horseshoe, that's where they hit the Niagara region. We also have a lot of sex tourism. We have a lot of access to hotels and motels in our region. And if anybody has been in Niagara Falls, down Lundy's Lane, we sell sex really, really well. And so we provide opportunity for traffickers to traffic folks from that strip of, of our region. And also places like Port Colburn, we have waterways for transportation. And our region is very spread out. So the YWCA, we're able to provide services throughout the Niagara region from West Niagara down to Welland. But a lot of social services have access issues. And so if you're in Port Colburn, there is no women's shelter in Port Colburn. And so women, in order to maintain housing or be able to have a safe place to sleep, will enter into these relationships with traffickers to be able to have that safe place to sleep without having to move to St. Catharines or Niagara Falls to access shelters. And then they're trapped. Yes, absolutely. And so it's a more of an emotional, psychological trapping rather than a physical trapping. So something like fear for um, your life. You fear know, for your life, fear for the life of others. 
And a lot of women might feel that their life prior to trafficking was worse. And so they would stay with their trafficking because their basic needs are being met. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of layers to trafficking and to, as to why somebody would stay with their trafficker or even go back to their trafficker after, after fleeing or exiting. And what a horrible thought that trafficking, being trafficked could be better than where you came from. Uh, yeah. Who is most at risk of being trafficked? In terms of risk, there are definitely some vulnerabilities that we see more often. The highest rate of folks being trafficked that have been reported are Indigenous women and girls. We also see a lot of individuals from the LGBT plus community uh, being trafficked, as well as youth. So the age of luring and grooming is about 12 to 14. That's the average age that a trafficker will start to target an individual. And so we see a lot of youth being trafficked in our area because of that, as well as across Canada. This is not unique to Niagara Falls. And I really want to drive home the point, though, that although the vulnerability of being um, black or being indigenous or being a lesbian or being trans individual, those add to your vulnerabilities, but anybody can be trafficked from any socioeconomic background. There is not one stereotypical person who has been trafficked. You can have an education background. You can have parents that have a great job, uh, quote unquote, and still end up in a trafficking situation based on that age of 12 to 14. We all go through that age. We all go through the changes in our bodies and our social lives and the level of independence that we're providing. That's the biggest vulnerability that a trafficker will hold on to is that age. Well, when you think of it, um, somebody who is in a uh, physically abusive relationship, a woman in a physically abusive relationship, often cannot get out of that relationship for many, many reasons. Uh, and so it's easy to see that you could be in a relationship where it's abusive, but you are as well being trafficked and you just are not able to leave largely and often because you're afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, another group that you're talking about um, are uh, persons living with disabilities. Yes. I've done some work with uh, community living in St. Catharines, and I, I learned from them that, well, young adults and adults, so I, mean, I guess from that age of 14, um, specifically with Down syndrome, are so vulnerable because they're very trusting, uh, they don't believe people are going to treat them in a bad way, but a drug dealer will come and say, oh, hey, um, I've got this. Can you deliver it to, to this person? And the next thing you know, they're kind of a mule. Mm -hmm. So that could be considered trafficking, using a person for trafficking of drugs. Yes. Yeah, and we do see a lot of neurodiverse individuals coming to the safer house as well um, because of those trusting vulnerabilities that they do have. And it's about ensuring that the connection to the community is there because that is what ends up being uh, taken from them within their trafficking situation. They're isolated and they are left to focus solely on their trafficker and the needs of their trafficker in order for their basic needs to get met. Yeah, and you're talking about younger people, sort of 11 to 14, where that grooming starts. And again, we're watching TV. 
But I watched I watched a show last night. I don't remember what show it was, but I thought, well, this is weird because I'm going to be talking to Kayla tomorrow. But it was a person who was totally controlled and brought to hospital and and she had like a barcode on her neck. And um, but that's again, what you've just explained to me is is not actually the case necessarily. It can be. So this means th this brings in the parent side of things. How does a parent recognize if their child is um, in that grooming phase um, and help them understand that trafficking is not just being grabbed by somebody and locked in a room with 20 other women or, or young men? Mm -hmm. And this is really difficult because the things that we want to do as parents are very natural within that age all of the things that uh, we see in terms of youth behavior can mimic the trauma behavior that they're experiencing. So there are some telltale signs in terms of risk that parents can look out for. Um, one of them being that the, your youth might become more secretive, but in the way that they might have a partner for their first time, but not want to tell you who they are, or when they're going out with them, they might get picked up around the corner. So they don't want that individual coming to the house. Uh, they start to remove themselves from social media. If they had an active social media present, the trafficker is going to try and remove them from their connections to their communities. They might have gifts or items that they're bringing home that are more expensive or out of their means. Uh, so you might be asking them questions about where they received their, that new purse or a nice new sweater that they you weren't the ones who gave them the money to purchase the new sweater. Um, so asking a little bit more of those questions. You might also see a decline in their mental health. So they might show some signs of anxiety, might start to show some like submissive mannerisms. Uh, they might start to be fearful of authority figures like their teachers or going to doctor's appointments or the police. Um, a lot of those pieces will all start to play in because sexual trauma has very unique characteristics on an individual's mental health. And you might even see physical signs of abuse, or you might start to see that the youth are using street language or using sexual terminology that's outside of their normal range of understanding. So those are some of the risk factors that parents might look into. And it's all about empowering our youth. I really feel that if we as parents, I, I have a son myself, if we are focusing on the empowerment of our youth, it's very difficult to traffic an empowered youth. Yeah, the, the mental health um, element that you're talking about, I mean, it, it, that always, it comes, always comes into in play um, with all of those descriptions, those signs that you, you talked about um, and, and the addiction. Um, we know that drug addiction is going up and up and up. We know opioid use is going up. And, and uh, so those are some of the things that you would be looking for. And some of those signs are the same as signs for a person who may be contemplating dying by suicide. Yeah. So, you know, it's all wrapped up in that. Um, so just uh, before we get on to the YW uh, services, uh, parents who are looking for a resource to try and understand if something might be happening with their child can go to a website, the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking, and find some resource information on there. I believe there's a book and, and uh, to help parents understand what's happening with their kids. There is too much going on in the world right now to really separate and, and determine what's going on. And then it's all sort of merged together. And 
I'm just glad I don't have a child right now. <laughs> so the YW in 2020 started to work on a program for um, mostly women, I guess, because the YWCA is um, for women, um, started to work on a program to help women being trafficked to have a safe place. Mm -hmm. And can you explain that to me? Yeah, so we actually started our human trafficking efforts prior to 2020. We, um, in conjunction with a lot of other Niagara regional agencies who saw the need for supports of survivors of human trafficking, the YWCA led in the creation of the Niagara Emergency Response Protocol. So it's a group of agencies and individuals who are able to provide immediate supports for someone who is exiting or fleeing trafficking. So with some statistics from 2016, the creation of the Niagara Emergency Response Protocol, it was determined that the most important support at that time was a place for them to go. So a safer house uh, that had the specific training for staff and the specific community agencies coming together to support survivors. A lot of times prior to the safer house um, opening, we were sending survivors to our women's shelters at the YWCA or sending them to domestic violence shelters. And so the specific nuances of a survivor's mental health, substance use, and low barrier needs that they needed weren't being supported holistically through the other shelters. They are amazing shelters at what they do in terms of mandated for housing and safety, but they weren't the unique programs that were needed for the survivors in the area. So in 2020, in the summer of 2020, we opened the Safer House. It's called Home to New Beginnings. And it was a real creation of these community agencies as well as being survivor-led. And we've opened and have been running a six-bed house within the Niagara region. The location is held confidential um, due to the safety risks that happen within the trafficking world. We are staffed 24-7 with an advocate, and we do have a transitional support worker who supports the transitional needs of somebody who comes into the house, stays for a period of time, and what their transition looks like out of the house. We really want to provide a safe space for survivors to really feel at home and really feel that support and have the wraparound services for us to be able to focus on them and the needs that they have coming in. One really unique thing about the Safer House is that we don't have any time constraints. So normally women's shelters run on a 30 day stay. And once that 30 days is up, they're looking at housing plans and trying to move on with that discharge to ensure that they're going to safe housing, but that we're also supporting other individuals within our community. So we kind of did away with the time constraints because we know that trauma and recovery from trauma is not a linear process. It takes a very long time to focus on the basic needs and then move towards the more holistic pieces of connecting mind, body, and soul. So within those, this program, having no time constraints, we're able to uh, break that cycle of homelessness and be able to transfer them to treatment programs, reunify with their family, looking at transitional housing or independent housing. How many uh, women in the in the house are women who have been trafficked across the border and brought in from a, another country and, and, and therefore don't have family here? So their only support, uh, and I shouldn't say only as it's, you know, it's 
wow, they can't get any support because you're doing amazing work, but they do not have a family who can support them through this process. They have this person out there who just instills them with fear. Mm -hmm. We don't see a lot of international trafficking here in Niagara. We do see the majority of domestic trafficking. And even if they're not crossing the border, we do have a lot of individuals seeking safety in our region because they were trafficked in other regions. A lot of times traffickers will move individuals quite quickly uh, through cities and regions so that they don't know exactly where they are. And they kind of have that um, confused mentality, not being able to hop on a bus and go back to their home community. And so we do see a lot of folks coming in to our region and into the program from other regions um, just outside of our own. And that's why our transitional support worker is so important because they're able to support within community as well as in-house and it bridges the gap for safety of when they're in-house and when they're going out uh, into community for appointments or just getting to know their own community, um, our worker is able to bridge that gap there. Well, based on the numbers that we uh, that we mentioned earlier, um, the four times more per 100,000 than the Canadian average, it sounds to me like uh, the six-person the six house is fantastic, but you need more beds. That's always the question of, do we need more beds or do we need more programs? Um, so I can give you a snapshot of our first year. We've been open uh, for about a little over a year and a half. So within our first year of operation, we had 18 unique women coming into the program. And I do want to preface that with um, when I say women or she, her pronouns, I'm also focusing on uh, gender non-conforming and trans individuals because we do see um, the LGBT community coming into the house and being supported. Um, but we had quite a few turnaways, and that's not necessarily because of bed inavailability, but just because of our eligibility requirements in ensuring that the folks coming into program are exiting or fleeing trafficking and need a safe place to stay. Um, we don't want to um, fill our beds with individuals who do not fit our eligibility requirements so that we are ensuring that the people who need the beds are coming in. And so of those 18 individuals who came into program, we had a very high success rate of folks leaving program for treatment, reunifying with family or going into independent housing. And we're seeing that trend continue um, within this past year as well. We work from a low barrier harm reduction lens. And so we are taking the individual as a whole and supporting in a way that they are looking for, not what fits into our box. So we're very creative problem solvers um, and we're seeing the success of the program in that way. Well, it's, it's wonderful work. And again, like I said, when I mentioned sex trafficking to people in Niagara, it's like, no, that can't possibly happen in Niagara. But yeah. you have completely opened my eyes and educated me on what sex trafficking is. And it really makes a huge difference when we talk about whether it's happening here or not, because the, if it, the, the people coming over the border and being shipped to wherever, that's one thing. But when we talk about what's happening here with mental health, drug addiction, abusive relationships, it's no surprise that we need a program like yours to help women who are being trafficked. Kayla, yeah. thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to me about this. It was very enlightening. Thank you so much. And we really look forward to looking at other options to fill the gaps to support the survivors in our community. 
You'll find more information about how to recognize when a person is being trafficked and how you can help at ywcaniagararegion.ca.